It's February 14th, and welcome back to the Squashcast. I'm your host, Rob Beaumont, joined once again by Jesse Engelbrecht. Hello, people. How are you doing? Um, so, yeah, looking forward to recording another Squashcast for you all. Just going to probably start off by saying um, a big big thank you to uh, a bit of the traction we got from the last one. Uh, a couple of retweets, uh, especially from a few high-profile players, Ryan Kaskelly and, and Garwad. So, uh, thanks to them, and, and hopefully they listen. Maybe they just didn't uh, retweet because we tagged them in it. Um, yeah, it would be quite nice for a few of the players to listen more and, and feel free to throw some comments our way. And tell us to shut up not too much or, or tell us to kind of talk more about squash yeah and it's great to see them getting a bit of publicity uh, throughout the the squash media as well so since we last recorded we had uh two major events going on we had the swedish open obviously in sweden and uh, we had quite a few national tournaments going on as well yeah, no, we'll, uh, we'll dissect those um, in a bit more detail and, and we're trying something a little bit new on the squash cast this week where uh, we'll explain it a bit later in it. But yeah, we, we basically watch the highlights of the final and, and we're making our comments on it kind of live, so to speak, as, as we're watching it. But before we get any further, um, I probably need to send a bit of an apology to uh, Mr. Paul Cole. I think I, I said he was ranked 20 uh, last month, but it actually moved up to number 16 in the world, which uh, at, at, at that stage, you know, moving from 20 to 16, that's that's pretty hefty kind of jump up. And that just means he's going to be in, in, in a lot more kind of main draws. You know, OK, you look at the top 12, probably in the main draw of a, a 16 draw tournament. But, you know, I think he's really kind of, you know, staked his claim that he's, he's going to get himself into that top 10 pretty soon. Uh, and also, just on the back of that, a, a bit of a shout out to fellow compatriot, compatriot Steve Coppinger, you know, back in the top 20 for the first time, I think in around a year, maybe just over a year. So credit to him for, for really coming through some uh, tough matches and getting himself back into that top 20. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, really looking forward to see what Paul... Paul can do. <laughs> Sorry, our table's malfunctioning there. Really interested to see what Paul can do from, uh, from that position with uh, a better ranking for each tournament, because he's had to go through a lot of qualifying in, in recent tournaments. And... Um, that's that's going to make the the whole process a lot tougher even though he's a particularly tough guy um so yeah we'll look at uh, the swedish open to start with and uh we're just going to scan down the, the the first round and look at any major upsets and we see immediately alan klein beating miguel rodriguez in just under an hour and um, not one i'd expect to see really yeah um I wouldn't call them similar players, but they, they are both players of attrition. Yes, uh, Miguel's got a, got a bit more hold and flick, but um, yeah, Alan Klein, one of the, probably the hardest trainers out there, works works so hard to keep keep to his level and, and progress. And yeah, credit to him, you know, like a bit of a bit of a breakthrough there to beat Miguel Rodriguez, who's the seventh seed. But yeah, it just just goes to show Miguel's form, you know, this whole season. You know, we can't really predict where he's going to be getting his wins from you know lately yeah I think he had a decentish win or, or reached his seeding the tournament before but you know another kind of early loss for Miguel is going to probably make him a little bit worried to kind of you know maintain his ranking and keep himself in, in certain positions so be interesting to see how he progresses there um, during the first round all other results looked pretty standard um, you know so a couple of three loves and three ones but in particular looking at the quarterfinal you've got um, the number one seed Kareem Abdel-Gawad again against Cameron Pilly at the top you know massive five set a 98 minute five setter with uh, Gawad winning 11-6 in the fifth not necessarily worrying because that seems to be Gawad's trend you know couple of early rounds he's willing to go to five he's willing to to extend the game loads get the win and again almost looks like he's trying to kind of spend time getting used to the court 
unfortunately, looking at, at the quarterfinals, there were two withdrawals, which is really, really rare. Um, you had Alan Klein, you know, making the most out of beating Miguel in the first round with Matthew Castagne having to withdraw in the quarterfinals, which someone like Alan, that's, that's, that's massive to get, in, get to the semifinals of a 70K event. Uh, with where he's at is absolutely huge, but I think credit to him for 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 making that himself. You know, if he hadn't beaten Miguel in the first round, you know, he would never have got the chance to get that walkover. So, bit a bit of a concern for Matthew because he has been out for quite a while, Matthew Castanier, and this was his first tournament back that we've seen him in, and you know, got through his first round, looked like a relatively tough three-one in 52 minutes, but then couldn't even step on court in the quarterfinals. So. It'll be interesting to see where he goes. And then in one of the other quarterfinals, Simon Rosner um, got a walkover against Daryl Salvi. I know recently Daryl had to pull out of a PSL match, you know, two all against Nick Matthew because he was a bit wary about the court. And uh, there might have been a bit of rumors rumbling that that he might have already done an injury there, but he was probably keeping his cards close to his chest. So, look, Daryl still had to win the first round match against um, Omar Magade, who... He came through in 70 minutes. So credit to Dal for getting through that, but then couldn't step on court against Simon. But I know a lot of people were really looking forward to that match. Uh, Daryl and Simon, very kind of expressive players, both willing to kind of open the court up, both willing to move the ball around. So such a pity for those two players at, at this time of the season. And yeah, both players, you know, not, not, not the youngest out there where it could take a little bit longer for their injuries to kind of, you know, get, get recovered from. Yeah, and a shame we didn't get to see that sort of little and large uh, battle between the two of them. And hopefully uh, we can have Daryl back on court again soon. With the fourth quarterfinal uh, played on the day was uh, Gaultier versus Mo- uh, Tarek Moman. Um, it was a 3-1 to, to Gaultier. No, 3-2. Uh, but the fifth game going 11-2. So se- 76 minutes. Um, seemingly, Moman seemed... Uh, almost out of it after the fourth even though he won it 13-11 yeah again I think Tarek looks like he's getting a, back a bit of form here you know taking Gulti all the way to five um, he's had a couple of good results in recent tournaments so I think he looks like he's on the upward trend and, and yeah probably Gulti just having a little bit too much experience and making Tarek work that little bit too hard because you know Gulti's style when, when, when he's on as we know and he's he's got that strut on so to speak he is Phenomenal, and he can just kind of keep his players just on the edge of their comfort zone for five, six, seven, eight shots in a row. So that's how I would probably see that match panned out. And by the fifth, you know, Greg was just too strong to be able to do, uh, to, to kind of, well, for Tarek to do much in that position. Just moving forward into the semi finals, um, in the top half, you had uh, Karim Gawad versus Alan Klein. Uh, credit to Alan, you know, taking the first game 12 10 against Gawad, and, and he must have thought. All his, all his luck was in and, and maybe he was going to get a, a massive scalp here but it, it wasn't to be and Gawad managed to kind of rein him back in and, and turn the tables and win that one 3-1 in 54 minutes so a little bit of a, a longer match but then um, another semi-final we had Gultier playing Simon Rosner which um, I managed to catch little bits of it and even though it was a three love it was a now a three love and you know 11-9, 13-11 the first two games Simon was, you know, millimeters away from nicking one, if not both those games, and, and credit to him. I think he was playing, if not the better squash, matching Craig kind of point for point. So, you know, would have Simon almost seems like the almost man at the moment. You know, it's such a, it's a harsh thing to kind of maybe say to someone of that high of ranking, but you know, he's really on the edge of getting getting that game, that second game, and 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 winning a match against someone in the top four or five in the world. Yeah, Simon's always seemed like the 
the biggest challenge to the top players back when Rami was his most dominant. They seemed to, to meet each other quite a few times in the last 16 or the quarterfinals and it would always seem to be a 3-1 or a 3-2 and if you see a, a, a scoreline like that, 3-love, you think, oh well, 3-love, big deal. But with a 58-minute timeline, it's, it clearly shows how tough that, that match must have been, um, especially if you compare to how long the, the other semi-final took, which was 54 minutes and that was a 3-1. Um, seemingly Goward not having too much problem with uh, with Alan Klein in that one and um, we'll just briefly touch on the the, the final because we do have um, our take on the highlights of it um, coming up for you but it was a 3-1 a to go to and a, a little bit disappointing I felt yeah um, a bit of a contributing factor Garwad's leg was strapped up pretty big that I don't know well we've seen him strapped up before in tournaments and wins so I'm not sure how much we can look into that it seemed about time that Craig got got a win over Garwad but it was all it was tipped up to be you know a real epic match and 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 what they've been playing like against each other of recent form was going to be exciting but yeah um you know Gultier take you 3-1 uh, real kind of strange third game 11 love to Gultier and if you can kind of find it, there's like a little uh, five-second video of Gultier dancing when he's when he's when he's drinking. is one of the, the best five seconds of squash history I think I've almost ever seen. It's unbelievably good. I think someone's kind of tagged it and like this is how you dance when you beat the world champion Eleven Love. So credit to him. But um, hopefully you enjoy our little rambling commentary on uh, on the final, which will be coming up soon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I'll try and find that that little clip video uh, for us to put up on our Facebook page. Okay, so we're going to move on to something that we've not tried before. What we're going to do is we're going to have the highlights from the Swedish Open final playing in front of us. And if you guys want to follow along at home, we're obviously going to link that to our Facebook group and the Twitter account as well. And um, basically, we're just going to talk through as the highlights go. We're going to keep you updated with the score and sort of give you our thoughts as the match goes along. So here we go. So it's uh, obviously Goward versus Gaultier with uh, the current head-to-head -head being, you know, heavily in Goward's favor. Yeah, listen, you'd uh, be backing Goward with his recent run of form. Just looking at the highlights now, it's uh, four all in the first game. And uh, I made some comments about Goward before he's that was a great shot by Gultier taking a wicked straight drop. Just Garwad, I think he's got that lovely balance between, you know, playing that straight ball and then whipping in his angles and kind of getting getting his opponent out of position with these ridiculous angles he can kind of play off. Yeah, now we see 7-6 to Gultier in the first. And I think you talk about those angles. He manages to produce beautiful shots from such a short swing. And that's a great short shot from the back from Garwad and Gaultier not being able to pick it up. Yeah, a little fist bump from Garwad there, 6-7 down in the first. Probably knows how big of a point that's going to be. But yeah, there's a great example of him lining it up on that backhand. Massive swing right over the top and then really coming under the ball and chopping it in short. So 10-7 game ball to Garwad and pretty much just kind of mops it up. So, you know, Garwad going from 6-7 uh, down all the way through to 11-7, you know, looking pretty imperious. Uh, start of the second game now. Uh, Gultier just chops in a backhand cross with Nick for fun there. Um, having a look at it here again. Just love Gultier's technique on that back and the way he keeps that quite cocked wrist. Great counter drop. And yeah, you see the score here. It's, uh, the highlights have progressed to 8-2 in Gultier's favor. So it sounds like he kind of was running away with it here at the moment. 
in just this rally in particular, he's got Garwad all over the place. <laughs> there we go, the Gultier chin thrust just coming out there for, for show. So Gultier 9-2 up in the second, you know, looking looking the stronger of both players here. But this is when Gultier is at his best, when he's strutting around, when he's moving the ball around the court, you know, so dominant. 10-3 game up to Gultier. Yeah, you can't really leave it on Gultier's backhand up there. He's going to be chopping it in. Garwad does well to stem the flow a bit. But you can kind of see, I think Garwad's walking through this one, yeah, and just gives up the ghost. Said so Gultier's really pumped by that one. Yeah, beautiful lob winner there, just not coming out of that back corner. We're at four love now in the uh, third game. And Gultier just looks to be controlling the centre of the court so easily. Uh, and easily throwing in winners left, right, and centre. Five love. Yeah, body language, you know, Garwad kind of staying in, but, you know, just walking through most of these shots, you know, and just kind of putting a racket on it. And eventually, in this last one, Gaultier chops it in, and yeah, Garwad's so out of position. Quite rare to see this in the final, especially with the head-to-head -head of, uh, of Garwad dominating Gaultier, but, you know, you're looking at Gaultier now, really getting into his third, fourth, fifth gear, just looks like Garwad is completely reactive at this point you know there's no there's no real plan going on it, it, it Gulti is the one dictating and dominating everything and Garwad is kind of like just going oh well, let me just throw a short ball in here let me just put a cross court in there with no real plan and structure yeah he looks to be really suffering with that left leg it's really bandaged up going up the the left hamstring and you saw in the last rally where he's trying to come across court he doesn't really want to put much pressure on it so he's you know, lateral movement is really compromised in, in this match. So 10 love, like you don't see that score often uh, in, in any of the PSA stuff at the moment, especially not in the final with two of uh, the, the, the hot players out there at the moment. Yeah, you know, injury-wise, I think we've got to take that into account. Um, Garwad probably just looking to protect his injury quite a bit. So they're coming off 11 love to Gultier. Uh, it's a pity they didn't show Gultier's dance at that point because he had like a wicked dance going on after he'd won 11 love. Going into the fourth game now, uh, Gultier 5 3 up. Garwad looking a bit more alive here. Starting to get onto a few balls, taking in a few short balls, and forcing Gultier to kind of turn a cross court. Um, Gultier had a few heavy movements, especially into that backhand deep, you know, sliding, sliding into it. So 4 5, you kind of almost go, all right, is this where Garwad starts to step up again? All that experience, and uh, not all that experience necessarily, but all that winning he's done recently, you know, could, uh, could turn this in his favor. Yeah, and he still doesn't even look happy winning that point, uh, having forced Gaultier to hit the tin. He's, I think he's just thinking that, you know, what does, he, what does he have to do to hit a clean winner at some point? And Gaultier's retrieval it throughout this match has been superb, except for that point. 7-6 <laughs> to Gawad. Yeah, body language has changed. You see Gawad, you know, fist pumping and Gaultier kind of clenching his teeth a little bit in anguish. Gaultier putting in those big lunges. You can see Gawad trying to fire himself up here. Great little hole he put in there as well, just to check Gultier's movement. You know, even though Gultier is quick in a straight line, just that hole did the damage. But then it turns to 10-8, match ball. You know, um, quickly Gultier manages to stem that flow and get it back on even terms. So quite a good rally up and down the backhand. Both players a bit cat and mouse at the moment. Gultier probably likely to take more risks here. But he's playing well, keeping it steady. Garwad just can't afford to do anything at the moment, really. He's just got to get the ball back on the front wall and, and take a bit of an opening when he sees one. There's a lot of cat and mouse up and down that backhand. 
Yeah, and this is probably one of the longest rallies of the match because neither player is looking to make a mistake. Unfortunately, Goward puts that ball out on the backhand and that's 11-8 game and match. Yeah, nice uh, mutual appreciation from both players. Um, big long hug and good chat again. They, they look like they're becoming quite good friends, these two, uh, with all the battles they've played recently. It'll be interesting to hear <laughs> or know what they're saying. Um, but yeah, just reflecting back at uh, the last time where Gultier lost 3-1 to Goward and um, how gracious he was in defeat. And, and again, Gultier looking pretty gracious in victory as well. So, you know, becoming one of the elder statesmen on the tour now. Yeah, and with the, the national tournaments this recent weekend, we didn't see Gaultier play in that um, because he was playing with Goward in an exhibition somewhere in the States, which um, is, is great to see that they are being friends on and off the court. And uh, we get to see some great sportsmanship as well. Quite controversial not playing in your, in your home nationals, you know, going for an exhibition match probably for higher money. But uh, I'm sure Gaultier has won his fair few share of national titles, so maybe it wasn't high on his priority list. But I can imagine the French Squash Federation might not be all too happy with him off playing exhibition matches when, uh, when the national championships is on. So we'll jump straight into the, uh, the few national tournaments that went over over the, the last weekend. And um, I think the best place to start is probably the French nationals. Um, we saw Lucas Cern versus Gregoire Marsh in the final of the men's. And it was a 3-2 match. First seed versus second seed, but we're missing sort of Matthew Castanier and, and Greg Gaultier. Yeah, you know, I think you've got a well, credit to Lucas Cern for, for getting his national title there. Um, you probably got to feel a little bit for Gregoire Marsh, you know, easily probably class as the highest seed you know more experience we've seen him a lot on squash tv and luke is still kind of you know learning his trade so to speak yeah he is he is progressing nicely so i think gregoire would be pretty disappointed not to to snap up that opportunity considering greg and matthew weren't both in that but yep credit to lucas for winning it um and yeah like it'd be interesting to see next year how it's all going to pan out whether greg's going to come back to it whether matthew's there but yeah good good to see two new names on it uh, and then looking at the women's, we had uh, Colleen versus, excuse me for the pronunciation, but Julie Rossignol. Is that right, Rob? Rossignol. <laughs> Thank you. Your, your French is way better than mine in, in Zimbabwe. I think French wasn't quite high on our, uh, our schooling. So yeah, Colleen, uh, the number one seed winning through love, beating the 5-8 seed, Julie. Yeah, only 23 minutes for that, that ladies' match. Um, shame not to see Camille Sum there, but I think she's probably got the same priorities as Greg Goltier looking at the PSA Tour and um, maybe resting up for some big matches coming forward. Um, so now we can jump to uh, well, our home tournament, as it were, um, being based in the UK with the British Nationals taking place in Manchester. And there was quite a lot of uh, this tournament put out on social media which I really enjoyed seeing. We had a lot of photos from the National Squash Centre next to Manchester City Stadium with a lot of um, publicity done by players like Lauren Mazar and, and Nick Matthew, which was really great to see. They put out a show court on the, that indoor athletics track they have there. Yeah, really good to see. And, and there was a lot of commentary on it. It looked very professional, the most professional I've seen the British Nationals in recent times. They um, they had a live streaming. I don't think it was on YouTube, but but they gave a link of live streaming stuff. I think the finals and even the semifinals. And yeah, it was it was great to see how professional it looked. It was a little bit tainted with um, with obviously Daryl Selby not being able to play in it. You know, he had to withdraw quite early on, and and there was a few redraws and and a few things being jigged around. And unfortunately, there was a couple of uh, withdrawals during the tournament as well. We we saw Tom Richards. Uh, 
withdrawing against Declan James and we also saw James Wilstrop, the number two seed, withdrawing against Joe Lee. So unfortunately, uh, like Tom, the three, four seed and James, the two seed going out in the quarterfinals really opened the draw up for, for anyone, to, well, I say anyone to take. You obviously had Nick Matthew in there still being imperious as you, as you always would. Um, and yeah, look, Nick, Nick winning his ninth national title. Fantastic effort. You know, there's not many people are going to be able to, to win that. And I'm, I'm sure he's going to go for the Big Ten and, and to get 10 times on the trophy will be phenomenal for him. But massive shout out to, to Joe Lee, you know, uh, getting past James, albeit James had to withdraw, but then really backing up that win by beating Adrian Waller in the, in the semifinals where I know Adrian is probably slightly higher ranked than Joe, both on PSN and on the England setup as well. So yeah, credit, credit for Joe to getting there. And yeah, it just looked like he, he couldn't really get a foothold of Nick in, in that final. You know, he was exchanging quite nicely and the rallies were good, but Nick just seemed like he was, he was on top most of the time, just, just turning the screw but Joe did really well in the third to to kind of lose 11-8 and, and really test Nick out there and you know if Joe nicks that that third game all of a sudden you know the tables might turn a bit and I don't know where the nerves would set in with Nick but but it could be a debate. Yeah and it's a great deal of experience for, for a player like Joe Lou who probably hasn't been around as long as um, a lot of the other players in this draw. I think if if you put anyone in that 5-8 seed area with you know Declan James and Adrian Waller and Joe Lee and um, uh, who else we've got Ben Coleman I think any one of those four could have could have beaten each other on the day so it it really does show that um, the England program is, is coming forward uh, as it goes yeah, you obviously got a couple of uh, worthwhile mentions here. Jamie Haycox, um, one, one, of, one of the older guys as well, doing well against Ben Coleman in the first round, knocking out a 5-8 seed. And then you've also got Adrian Waller beating Alan Klein, the 3-4 seed, who Alan had just come off, obviously, the back of the Swedish. Maybe a bit of fatigue might have been a factor there, but you know I think Alan's confidence would have been pretty high off, off the back of him doing well at the Swedish Open. So credit to Adrian Waller. And yeah, it was, it was pretty pretty open in that sense. And, and uh, But you just look at it, you see Nick coming through that top half and you know just three love three love three love and three love in the final as well so you know pretty convincing once James would be knocked out and or withdrawn through injury and it would have been nice to see those two do battle again recently after their the the, the 10 year hex that James had just kind of turned over on Nick so it would have been a real kind of interesting battle if both those players were fit and firing on all cylinders and, and I think a lot of people were, were looking forward and, and hopefully expecting that and let's hope we do see these two players playing again at some point whether on the PSA or at the British Nationals next year because it would be, it would be good to see if Nick can kind of get his domination back by starting to win the next match Yeah and it's a, it's a shame we didn't get to see James against Nick in that final um, on the squash cast previously, we have done a bit of prediction, but uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Jess, and ask you who out of these up-and-coming players, obviously not Nick and James and uh, Alan Klein, but who of these up-and-coming players you think is most likely to push towards the top 20 and the top 10 and, and maybe even the world number one spot? World number one, that's, that's, such a, that's such a long way away, I think, for, for some of these players, if I'm honest. Um, I think a lot of them would be very happy to take a top 10, top 8 position and see how it goes from there. Um, you know, uh, Joe Lee, is, he's had a couple of tough years, but, you know, this, I was really glad to see that, that he's broken through, so to speak, and, and got to the final of, of this Nationals, his first final he's, he's ever got to in the Nationals. So I would say at the moment, Joe's looking a good contender if he can kind of use this this recent form and that bit of confidence he can take from this um I've, I've got a bit of a soft spot for Declan I think I think he's 
got a really kind of nice frame to him, the way he plays. He, he's got very Nick Matthews-style technique and movement. Um, I believe he does get coached by, by Nick's coach as well, um, DP. So, you know, I think he can really kind of cause some upsets in, in, in the upcoming years. Ben Coleman, I would have liked to kind of say yes, but of recent form, he's gone a little bit under the radar, but quiet. I'm, I'm not sure if he's got a few injuries and a few niggles kind of holding him back a bit. So it would be interesting to see how he can bounce back. But I'd say between Declan and Joe, if they can kind of, you know, progress the way they're doing, it would be great to see. Got to obviously mention Adrian Waller as well, you know, getting getting to the semifinals of Nationals is no mean feat. Um, again, he, he almost, he had a breakthrough a couple of years ago, you know, two and a half years ago, and, and hasn't really seemed to kind of back it up. So it would be, be interesting to see if this could be a bit of a catalyst for him to to kind of take the bull by the horns and go, right, semifinal of, of, the, of his nationals. Let's see if he can kind of get a scalp of someone in the top 16 in, in, in the next few months or so. Yeah, I think I, I, w- I would really like to see a player like Declan James come forward because, you know, he's such a nice guy and he, he puts in a, a hell of a lot of work in, in his training. So we'll jump over to the ladies, and um, it's title number four for Laura Mazzaro. A, a great win against uh, C- uh, SJ and the Sarah Jane Perry in the final. Um, 42 minutes for a, for a three-love, and they recently met each other in the Tournament of Champions, and they obviously know each other incredibly well. Um, but in my mind, it was never really in doubt that, that Laura would take this. Yeah, I agree. It kind of looked like with, with Nick as soon as James went out. I know all the seeds were still in, in the ladies' draw. There was no withdrawals um, in the ladies. But yeah, I think Laura probably is just that yard, half a yard ahead of the other girls at the moment. Credit to Sarah Jane for beating Alison Waters in the semi-final. You know, Alison, the two seed. I'm sure Alison was a bit bit gutted by that because Sarah's a few years younger than Alison and, and Alison probably wants to, to maybe get a few more titles a little bit later on in her career. So, you know, Alison had a massive five-setter with Tesney Evans in the quarters, you know, coming through that 3-2, 11-9 in the fifth. So I think that probably had a bearing on her playing the next match. Um, what I found quite interesting as well was um, Jenny Dunkoff, the 5'8 seed. Uh, she'd, she'd flown back all the way from Australia, I believe, or she was she was uh, within Europe somewhere. Uh, she's looking really well tanned and and looking like she just got off a beach. And probably kind of the results maybe maybe showed it. You know, shame she she just struggled through her first round match, 62 minutes, uh, 3-2 against Millie Tomlinson. But then, um, yeah, got undone pretty convincingly by Emily Whitlock, the 3-4 seed in the quarterfinals in, in only 28 minutes. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure where, where she's going with her squash at the moment. Obviously, being out in Australia, she's a bit isolated. Um, and, but hopefully she's training, and, and I'm sure Commonwealth Games is going to be up on her list because it's, it's in her backyard, and, and she lives in, uh, in Brisbane, where I believe it is. Is Brisbane, Brisbane or Adelaide? I think it's Brisbane. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where she goes from there. But, yeah, kind of went, went to form. You know, Laura coming through, you know, top half relatively comfortably drop dropping a game to Fiona Moveley and dropping a game to Emily Whitlock but then you know kind of turning on when it really mattered in the in the final three love against Sarah Jane yeah and um being in in Manchester at the end of January I got a chance to see Emily Whitlock uh, training up on the glass court that they have there um really shows the contrast of preparation that some players have um talking of Jenny going to to Australia I know I'd, I'd rather be in Australia than maybe Harrogate where she's from um, having spent a lot of uh, my time there as a, as a child. Um, I think this was a, a fairly standard tournament for the ladies, but it does just sort of show, show the depth we have with one, two, three, four 
making it through to the semi-finals. So that'll probably do us for this week. Um, we've got a few tournaments coming up on the PSA World Tour with the Windy City Open, that's uh, men's and women's. Both of those are 150k, so quite a few names. I already know uh, for the men's that Sarah Gosal has dropped out and unfortunately Laura Mazzaro has dropped out of the ladies, um, opening up uh, plenty of opportunities for uh, those players in that tournament. I might be wrong there, she might have dropped out of the Cleveland Classic, I'll have to double check that. Um, coming up in March we've got the Canary Wharf starting on the 4th, uh, ending on the 10th. A great tournament that I've been to a couple of times. Quite a small arena but you don't need a lot of space for a squash court. Um, really good atmosphere, uh, great fans and a, a great tournament. Uh, on at the same time starting on the 6th is uh, a Colombian tournament, it's another 70k. Uh, it's actually a ladies' tournament in uh, in Colombia, in Florida Blanca. I don't know if this one will be on Squash TV. Uh, hopefully, we'll get some highlights from that if uh, if available. And then, looking towards the end of March, we've just got the British Open up in Hull, which uh, not quite Colombia, but uh, we'll see how it goes. We've just got the British Open, like it's a it's a passing tournament. <laughs> no, so yeah, a good few tournaments to kind of have a look at. We'll uh, we'll try do a recording. I think pretty soon if after the Canary Wharf if we can, and then that'll give us a little bit of a gap before the British Open. So um, again, thanks to everyone out there. Thanks for all the, the the traction that we're gaining, and yeah, please do keep passing it on and retweeting and posting it, and yeah, tell your friends. Yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely try and get something for the Canary Wharf, uh, that being one of, my, more, one of my favorite tournaments that we have out on the tour. So don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, we'll try and put a few more things up on Instagram. I'm trying to get some recordings of Jesse as he, as he coaches maybe sometime. And uh, we will uh, have all our podcasts up on iTunes, SoundCloud and YouTube as always. Thank you very much for listening and see you next time.